Niños en el arco, la defensa es colosal González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás Fuentes y Chumpitas Chalemí, Frin y Cubillas y el gran Perico León Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la selección Welcome back to the Peruvian Waltz podcast. I'm your host, Peter Galindo. Yes, it really is us. We are back after about a three-week hiatus. You all know how December is and the holidays are, so apologies for that. But we are back and hopefully uh, back consistently. I know we say it a lot. Hopefully I am correct this time. Joining me tonight is Christopher Viscardo. Christopher, how have your holidays been? How have you been in general? What's the scoop? Wonderful, wonderful indeed. Back in Utah after a few months of being out east. And uh, I also got, uh, for those that saw it on Twitter, I got the latest Peru jersey with a two stars uh, as a Christmas present. So, I, I mean, honestly, that that was that was all I wanted, really. You, your wife knows you too well, Viz. She knows you're a kit nerd. That's true. She had to get it for you. Am I right? Am I right? That's that's true. That's very much true. I also got myself a Cienciano jersey Ooh. just to uh, celebrate the fact that they're back in the first edition. Also joining us this evening are the Montalvan brothers. First of all, we have Diego joining us. Diego, how have your holidays been? My holidays have been great, you know, uh, here with the kids, uh, not done opening gifts yet. And I also have a Cienciano jersey, actually. Nice. Uh, as do I. That's three for three. Kevin, uh, also joining us, do you have a Cienciano jersey as well? <laughs> yes, I do. I had to, <laughs> I had to rep uh, Cienciano with them coming back up to the first division. Vamos el papá. <laughs> there we go. Four for four. We're, we're all happy Cienciano is back. Speaking of teams who play in the altitude, uh, we're going to start out the show. Because we've missed so much, we're going to try and catch up as much as we possibly can. One of the major stories that happened while we were away was Binacional winning the league. Uh, they held off an Alianza Lima comeback in the second leg to win it all. Uh, they, of course, won the Apertura earlier in the year, had a very good season. Um, but a lot has happened since then. Before we get into it, though, let's talk about... The fact that they did win the title just a couple of years, Christopher, after they were in Copa Peru. Just if you can kind of explain just how strong this rise has been. Has this maybe been the best sort of success story, quickest success story we've seen since Ooh. maybe San Martin? Well, San Martin and Binacional have a different story, mostly because San Martin bought their promotion into the first division. It was a university that was looking into getting kind of investing in in, uh, in soccer in Peru, and they bought the racing, the second division champion spot in the first division back in 2004. Binacional, on the other hand, is a team that has fought hard, get to the first division, and to win the first division, they have their start in Puno. Now, they played in Puno for a few years, and then what happens is that the Copa Peru has a rule that says that you have to field five or six players that are from whichever region uh, the team is from. And they could not find enough talent in Puno. There was not enough professional, uh, you know, or at least semi-pro players that were in shape to be part of their squad. So they actually moved to Arequipa. In Arequipa, they found more talent. They fielded more Arequipeños. That brought them to the first division. They made it to the Finalissima twice, 2016, 2017. 2017, they finally get promotion. 2018, they have a Copa Sudamericana campaign, and now they're the, the champions this year. I think if you want to make uh, a little bit of a fair comparison, maybe maybe Real Garcilaso True. Uh, and their run in 2012 would be would be a good a good example of that. But honestly, um, are they the most successful? Probably because if you think about Real Garcilaso, only got uh, runner up what twice or thrice maybe. So they never quite made it to the championship. Something Binacional, you know, won it all. Something that even Cienciano hasn't been able to do, that Melgar only was only able to do after 50 years. It, it really speaks highly of them as a Provinciano team, as a provincial team, and as a high-altitude team. For sure it does. And it is kind of nice to see, in a way, a different team winning it, um, especially a team that was, for the most part, consistent throughout the year. But they have recently now dealt with some pretty 
uh, major news, some some somewhat negative news, and that is uh, Roberto Mosquera leaving them after three months. Um, it was somewhat expected towards the end of the campaign that he would leave. That was made official shortly after they won the title. Um, and they've also been hit with some even, you could argue, worse news. It looks like they won't be able to play Libertadores home matches in Juliaca due to lighting issues in the stadium. Apparently their lighting isn't up to Comebol code. It was in 2019 because obviously they played in Sudamericana, but it was not up to code for 2020. So it's obviously very negative news on both fronts. Diego, with that said, how much do you think this is going to affect them assuming they can't play in Juliaca and, and just in general trying to replace the caliber of coach that Roberto Mosquera is? Oh, it's a, it's a it's a it's a big it's a big deal because that was one of their strengths being able to play in high altitude and without being able to play in Juliaca. I think I think now teams are not frightened to take on them. And then obviously losing Mosquera is going to be difficult. I don't know. I don't know who who's going to be able to rally rally them the way he did and 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 doing what he did for the last couple seasons. I just don't know who who else they could do, who else could they could get right now. And they've also lost a couple of key players as well. Their top scorer, right. uh, Miyan, going to Lau, which I'm sure Diego, you're happy about uh, getting such a quality Absolutely. player. Uh, they also lost Edson Albert to to Melgar, who was a solid defender, um, a little bit of a utility player as well. So that was useful. But they gained uh, everybody's favorite forgotten child and once promising talent, Raymond Manco. They also got one of the top goalkeepers in the league in Steven Rivadeneda. So that at least bolsters a couple of positions. They drew a pretty difficult group for the Libertadores. Uh, they got River Plate, of course, defending finalists and champions last year. They got Sao Paulo and they also got uh, El de Uquito, uh, which means they'll have to go to the altitude as well as maybe potentially host it if they can get... Uh, say, in Cusco for their home matches, but that is not looking likely. Uh, so, Kevin, how do we feel they'll perform in all competitions as it stands in 2020 now that we have put everything on the table here? I'm going to be honest. This is this is a very, very difficult group in Libertadores with uh, River Plate, Sao Paulo, and LDU Quito. That, it feels like one of the Alianza groups that, that I've been getting the last two years. <laughs> True. Yep. There's no uh, easy on paper that you got an Argentinian, you got a Brazilian, and then you got an Ecuadorian, the team that's used to playing in altitude. It's, it's if they didn't have bad luck, they'd have no luck at all in, in that draw. They did fine as as far as the Peruvian league signings. You know, Manco has has proved he can play in altitude with Real Garcilaso. They they picked up Gularte from Unión Comercial, who who you know did very fine. Uh, with a limited team, so he sh- he should guarantee them some some goals. As far as River de Neda, excellent excellent opportunity for that goalkeeper. So I I do hope that they they represent Pro well, but the the odds are are stacked against them in that group. Yeah, I think from just a general Peruvian perspective, you maybe hope that someone like uh, Riva Deneda impresses in Libertadores on that big stage because. At Muni, he didn't always have that chance. Um, they, they played in Sudamericana last year, but obviously got crushed. Um, and he's been one of the league's top goalkeepers for a couple years now. So maybe if, even if he's, say, on the receiving end of a 5-0 pasting, e- even if he impresses, maybe a couple clubs will take notice. Maybe he'll get some Peru recognition, some national team recognition, what have you. But yeah, definitely a very tough draw for them and... Uh, we shall see what happens with their home matches in terms of where they will play because it's either at this point Cusco or Estadio Nacional. You imagine at least if they go to Cusco, they'll have that altitude advantage, which would obviously be favorable for them. Moving over to a couple of newly promoted teams, uh, Deportivo Yacuabamba, who we thought initially were going to win Copa Peru and then get promoted via that route. Uh, it ended up going to uh, Carlos Stein, and Yacuabamba had to go into the promotion playoffs, but they finished in the top two and got promoted along with uh, Copa Bicentenario winners Atletico Grau. Uh, Viz, this is your department, the lower leagues. Um, now, Grau may be more 
of a welcomed addition, considering they will be playing in Gomeball competition and whatnot. Uh, Yaku Avamba, maybe less so. Am, am I off with those opinions? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the first division is getting too crowded. I think the issue that we saw last year with Alianza Universidad was that the TB rights decided that they could only pay for, what, 17 teams in the first division? To, uh, and so therefore, that meant... I think there was some issues with uh, from the side of the team also. They couldn't reach an agreement in the end. So Alianza Universidad went the whole year without a single match being broadcasted, at least not in the major network uh, that broadcast uh, the rest of the matches. Now we have 20 teams. Either everybody gets a thinner slice of the pie or we see the same issue. And I can totally see how Yacobamba might be one of the teams that gets cut out. That means less TV revenue for, for them. Uh, it also means that because they're such a small team from such a small city, they're probably going to have to move somewhere else to play their first division matches. So when you play in a, you know, in a city that is strange to you and you don't even have the TV revenue, uh, who's going to go watch, you know, like who's going to go watch the, the games, honestly? <laughs> I, I, I honestly think. It's just it's just a recipe for disaster is what it is. I mean, I, I wish him the best regardless, but uh, I I wouldn't really I, I wouldn't put all my all my money in into uh, seeing Yakuabamba getting anywhere next season. Uh, I've been trying to keep up with uh, signings, but I haven't seen anything yet from their part. Nothing uh, interesting. So it is what it is. As for Atletico Grau, we'll get into them when we talk about the Sudamericana draw and all that. But um, j- just in general, do, how do you feel they will perform in Liga Uno, uh, considering that they did actually take some some pretty big uh, scalps in the Copa B Centenario? I actually ex- expect them to do much better again. You know, if we're talking about money, I actually think that the, the TV organizations are really going to have to think twice before before cutting Atletico Grau because that is a lot of viewership in the north of the country. Uh, I think that Atletico Grau is someone that fills stadiums for sure. Uh, They're the biggest team in their region. They're back in the first division after so many years, almost 30 years, I believe. Uh, And so therefore, I I expect them to have a a decent decent, uh, income coming in. And also because, well, the fact that they're coming into the first division they were able to gain promotion as well as Sudamericana means that they could potentially invest in some some decent players. I think it would have been more of an uphill battle if they had stayed in the second division because then they wouldn't have the revenue they, they would have in the first division. And then it would really be tough to try to compete with other first division countries uh, in South America, right? I, I think that that would have actually sealed their fate if they had stayed in the second division. But I, I think that because they have been promoted, there is some hope for them in Sudamericana. So, so we'll see how they do. For sure it is. And I did mention the Sudamericana, so let's get into the Comebol draws. Um, we'll start first with the big competition, the Libertadores. Uh, this is where... Uh, at least we'll start out with where Kevin can air his grievances about Alianza Lima because the other team that qualified automatically for the group stage was the finalist this year. Alianza got Nacional of Uruguay, they got Racing Club of Argentina, and Estudiantes uh, as well. So how do you like the draw from an Alianza perspective? One of the easier ones they have gotten on paper in the last couple of years. No doubt. Next to, next to the, the last two groups... And this is more accessible. I mean, keep it in mind, this is a Peruvian team we're talking about. <laughs> it's not it's not easy in Libertadores. No no team is. Even even Estudiantes de Merida from, from Venezuela. Do think it's it's between them and Alianza to, to at least get Sudamericana. I think that's the minimum goal at this point. Alianza is spending on on new on new signings. They're, you know, they're keeping Mengochea, who, you know, like him or not, this would be his fourth year with Alianza. So some progress should be demanded on that front. Racing, I believe, is the Argentinian champion, mm-hmm. and they just signed... Uh, the Nacional just uh, just won their league. They're beating Peñarol. So they're, you know, they're nothing to to look down on either. These are, these are very strong sides, and it looks like Alianza... 
is losing some some of their players, like Kevin Quevedo being one who seems to be headed off abroad. Pedro Galese seems to be heading towards MLS at this time. So the, these are these are tough tough losses to take at at this time. We'll we'll see how they how they reform. I know they they got some wingers. Supposedly they're going after El Mudo. But uh, as far as uh, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that can be said about the final. You could talk about VAR. You could talk about if the right decisions were made on on some of the calls there about bringing in uh, what was it foreign referees for the for the second match of the final and everything. It, it seems a little bit messy, even even for the Peruvian league. But you gotta give credit where it's due. Binacional. If- and they they did what they had to do. They mopped up at home and and then just tried to hold the result away. So it was always going to be an uphill battle for them. And and we do have to keep in mind that they did suffer uh, a tra- tragic accident with the life of Juan Pablo Vergara. So it, it is uh, really in- inspiring that Mosquera brought them together like that. Yeah, for sure. Mosqueda really did do great work there in the three months he was there. Just to close it out, Kevin, what do you think about uh, signing Bayon to address the midfield? That was maybe a problem area for, for Alianza during the 2019 season. Probably still need to make a couple more signings, especially defensively, but that one signing alone, do you feel like that's a good start, as well as Alexi Gomez for, for the attack? So, regularly, I'm not for Peruvians coming back to the league. But I, I'm pretty sure that that uh, Bayon's Chilean team was was not doing very well, aside from the the problems in Chile overall. So I think I think it was it might have been the right move for him to come back, and he is a strong signing for Alianza. He definitely showed he was at a good level in the Libertadores. The, you know his former team Cristal. He he earned himself back a call up to Selección. Has played decently um, from what I've seen. And I, I, I think he is an interesting signing. It shows it's like a statement of intent going after national team players or, or people on the radar of national team. Pretty sure at this point, Alexi Gomez and uh, John Deza are two players that will be playing for Alianza. And, and they've, they've played under Bengochea in the Selección. Plus, they know each other from the sub So it, it could be an interesting combination there. Definitely could be, yes. They're, they're always an interesting team, for sure. You Just when you think that they're kind of down and out, Bengojea comes in and then rescues them and, and gets them fighting for a title. Uh, Lira Torres might be a bit of a different story. It usually is for Alianza, but we shall see. Um, one of the major departures, guys, that happened from Alianza, as Kevin touched on, was Pedro Galese. He allegedly, uh, this is according to a couple reports in Peru, spurned a pretty big offer from Alianza um, in order to join Orlando City in MLS. The offer from Alianza was supposedly around an annual salary of $350,000 to $400,000 with a $600,000 signing bonus in the first year. It was a three-year contract. He turned that down to move abroad again. There are conflicting reports in the U.S. in terms of whether it is Orlando or another MLS team, but let's just say it is Orlando and MLS in general. Diego, do you feel like this is the right move for him to, I don't want to say get back on track because he was doing very well before this performance wise, but maybe more so mentally given what's happened uh, in his personal life. Um, Absolutely. I I think he's too good to be playing in Peru personally. I think there's a lot of players, just like Kevin said, that I don't like them returning. But uh, in Pedro Gades's case, I think him him leaving Peru is is the best choice. Um, whether it's MLS or not, that's a different story. But him leaving is going to be good for him. Hopefully, you know, he can keep um, playing as well as he has been. I think him leaving Peru also may help his situation or his relationship with his, with his wife and what may be going on, you know, uh, getting out of Peru and that environment or the people that he was surrounding himself with. So that may all help in, in the end. For sure. And it actually has to be stated, he played very well for Alianza after that happened. We all thought that he'd maybe kind of wilt and, and struggle. So credit to him for at least performing well, given what was happening. It kind of goes to show you, I guess, his mental strength. Um, cause I, I was honestly surprised to see how well he did. 
moving over to Sporting Cristal, uh, they're going to start in the Libertadores in the second phase. Um, they will draw either uh, Progreso from Uruguay or Barcelona from Ecuador. That seems like a pretty tough challenge, uh, especially if, if they do get Barcelona. Uh, and then if they can somehow get past that, they would face uh, likely Cerro Porteño, but potentially Universitario, which would be interesting to say the least, especially considering that would be a for a spot in the group stage. Viz, how do you like Cristal's draw at this point in time, considering that they look kind of thin in the midfield and, and at the back based on some of the key players that they have lost. Yeah, I, I think this is something that we don't usually say about Sporting Cristal, but uh, something tells me that it's going to be a little bit of a transition year. The fact that we're not going to be seeing Lobaton for the first time in, what, like 15 years is yep. already a surprise, right? Uh, and there's going to be, uh, I'm expecting some more changes there. That's consequence not only of Lobaton, but of uh, other decisions that are uh, happening uh, uh, within the club. Nevertheless, well, first of all, I don't have a lot of uh, hope for Universitario. Let's let's be honest. Uh, <laughs> we've seen their performances in these stages in previous years, right? So, so I wouldn't uh, have my hopes up if I was an Universitario fan. So, to me, the the real chance. Is there the the real opponents would be either Barcelona, and if they can get over that Cerro Porteño, I think they're both very solid teams, very strong teams in their respective countries. I think Barcelona is a little bit more traveling, just because uh, it's tough to go to Ecuador. It's tough to go to Ecuador, uh, and I, I think, well, I, I don't know. I I think that if they're able to get past both of those teams, then then they well. For sure, deserve to be in the in the group stage, but as it is, and because I think it's going to be a transition year, uh, I, I I wouldn't get my hopes up either. I, I think we'll probably see something similar to what we've seen in previous years, where Sporting Cristal does fairly well at home, right, and and probably you know uh, gets a, a slim victory at uh, Stadio Nacional, but then whether they can hold that. Uh, abroad, that yeah, that's that's always the questionable part. In, indeed, it is. On that same note, Kevin, uh, we got a question from Abel Gamarra at Abalenda eighty one, asking us, actually touching on that new ownership and and, and whatnot. Uh, Sporting Cristal's new ownership has made zero moves in the transfer market and appears to be losing Canchita Gonzalez on top of uh, Lobaton as Viz spoke about there. How do you see the club performing in the next season? I feel a few seasons of struggles are on the horizon. Viz basically said the same thing. Kevin, would you be in agreement with both of these guys in terms of Sporting Cristal struggling in 2020? You know, I've been thinking about it and I don't think that they're going to, gonna. I mean, they're not going to go back to 2018 Cristal, but I don't see them struggling. I don't see them, you know, fighting relegation or anything of that nature. Lobaton left but you know he was he was very up there in age, and Tavara has seems like he's the ideal replacement. The guy was playing his heart out against Alianza in the semifinal, and I've I've liked how he's played so far with with the youth teams. Anytime I've I've gotten to see him. Far as you know, front they still have Herrera. That's almost like a new signing because he was gone all of last year. Canchita, you know, we'll see what happens with him, but. The, the fact is, Cristal has invested a lot in their youth divisions to the point where they, they should be having some products uh, appear at this at this time when, when the club needs them, especially since um, their owners are an agency that, that looks to promote players to get them sold abroad or you know, just sold in general. I can I can definitely see, you know, Gianfranco Chavez stepping up. You know, they still have Merlo in defense. They got Calcaterra, Casulo. So they're not, it's not like the whole squad is starting over. It's just, you know, some key pieces. It does look like they're going after Cabello from, from Cantolao for right back. We'll see how that develops. But it, it's it's still a good opportunity for Cristal to, to see what their youth divisions are capable of at this time. I would more so agree with you. I feel like in the league, they'll 
they'll be mostly okay. I mean, they probably won't be competing for the title, but, you know, they'll be in the hunt for a Libertadores place, I'm sure, throughout the season. Uh, worst case scenario, Sudamericana. Um, and then as long as those young players, as you mentioned, develop and, and get stronger and gain experience, I think Cristal fans will be somewhat satisfied with that, especially considering they are going uh, through new ownership at the moment. Um, over to Laú. Uh, they, as mentioned, signed the likes of Donald Millán. They got uh, Ivan Santillán as well. Um, Alex Sukar was their major signing up front. However, they did lose a few key players uh, along the way. Gerson Vázquez, Cristian Ramos, Henry Vaca. Um, I don't know if El Mudo counts as a key departure considering how much he was hurt, but based on name and when he was fit, him being quite strong, I'll throw him in there. Uh, they drew Carabobo in the first phase of the Libertadores. As mentioned, they would face potentially Cerro Porteño if they can get past the first stage. Uh, Diego, how confident do you feel in Laú's chances, at least in Commonwealth competition? In Commonwealth competitions, I, I'm not too confident. I, I, think, I think the names that you just mentioned can hurt. Again, the biggest thing that they needed, because defense, uh, they were pretty sound, um, but losing Cristian Ramos obviously hurts. El Mudo didn't play that much, so I'm, I'm really not counting him. But what Lau needed most was goals. And like you said, they signed Sukar and Miyang. And, I mean, hopefully, if, if they if they can start banging them in, then then they'll, it'll give Lau a chance. But in, in Comeo competitions, I just don't, I don't see them making it far. No, I, I guess not. Um, but... I think in the league, that's probably where they're maybe more focusing on. Do you, do you feel kind of confident that they could fight for the title in 2020? Uh, I, I feel I feel they can they can stay in the top three. I don't know. It depends on on the rest of the moves that happen. I think I could still see them fighting with Alianza. You know, Alianza's had some good signings that are risky, but at the end, they're good signings if if they come through. So I, I still think that they can. Yeah. And on one of those signings, we got a listener question from uh, Braulio B at Braulio JB asking, uh, what are the realistic chances that Sucar makes the Copa America 2020 squad so that there is finally a suitable Paolo replacement? Uh, do, do you feel like that's far-fetched, Diego? Or do you think if he maybe gets a, a, a decent start that he might be in the conversation? I mean, he could be in the conversation if, if he if he gets you know if he starts well and and he's getting minutes and scoring of of course, but like we've seen with Ruiz, your club form doesn't necessarily translate to to la selección form based on mostly because of the system that we play in la selección is a lot different than what the clubs play I think, um, so we'd have to see we'd have to see but. I mean, I hope so. I, I hope that we can we can find someone to challenge Paulo. You know, Paulo's not getting any younger. So, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Well, remember around 2015, 2016, three players by the name of uh, Raul Ruiz Diaz, Andy Polo, and Edison Flores, all from Universitario, got called up to the national team by Gareca. And it's safe to say at least two of them have gone on to have very, very good careers. I am so sorry, Andy Polo, if you are listening, but you had some <laughs> tough competition there. Um, and Sukar is 24. Rui Diaz was about 25, 26 when he got called up. Um, and Flores was about, and, and Polo were about 22 or so. So kind of in the middle in, in terms of age between those three players. Maybe he can follow suit as being another Universitario player who catches form and gets into the national team. We shall see. Moving over to the Sudamericana. Uh, Melgar got uh, Nacional Potosí from Bolivia uh, in their matchup. They were pillaged, though, in terms of player departures. They lost key players like John Narvaez. Cuesta, losing him, will, just to put it very, very harshly, will absolutely suck for them. Because when you lose both a key piece on defense and up front, never a good thing. So, Viz, what do you feel their chances are of advancing uh, against Potosí here. Man, Potosí, playing Potosí is like uh, hiking one of the uh, tallest mountains in the Rockies. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's always tough. I think it's going to be a little bit like uh, 
Mosquera and uh, his game against uh, River, right? Mm -hmm. Where uh, he managed uh, a very good result against River when he was playing when he was in Bolivia with uh, Wilstermann. I think it was a three zero. Yes. Right. I mean, I I, I kind of see Melgar. The, the strategy for for Melgar has to be the same thing. It's look, let's be honest. You're probably going to get destroyed when you go go to Potosi. That's fine. But then what can you do when you come back home, when you're playing at a lower altitude, when you're playing with your people? I, I think it's a little early uh, to say what their squad's going to be like. I, I think that they're probably going to start making some moves here pretty soon. Uh, and so I would wait a few more weeks and see who they sign to be able to give a better uh, prediction. But uh, the strategy is, is just to admit that your game in Bolivia is not going to be great. So... How are you going to counter that when you come back home? And River Plate's strategy was, yes, we lost 3-0. Uh, and then Gallardo beat them 8-0 when they played in Buenos Aires. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it's I, I think it's possible. Yeah, who knows? Who knows for sure? Staying on Juves, because uh, Atletico Grau got River Plate of Uruguay. Um, looks tough on paper, but they're apparently looking at the likes of uh, Jordi Vilche, Cesar Romantica, Emma Monpaukar, uh, former Lau players, as well as uh, Gary Correa. Provided they sign players of that caliber, how do you like them matching up with River in the Sudamericana? I, I think that those the Uruguayan teams are, are very manageable. Like Uruguay struggle usually with with Peru, at least at the national level, it's always been the case that Uruguay has had a, a hard time playing against uh, Peru, especially if, if the Peruvian side is able to to kind of bring some of that chocolate into the table. So uh, the names you read to me sound sound pretty good. You know, uh, I think their odds are it's not as uphill as as much of an uphill battle uh, as it would have been if they had stayed in the second division, like he said. And the fact that I'm pretty sure they're going to get a TV deal to me means that, yeah, some of those signings are probably going to happen. And that's going to be really good for their team. If they can reinforce just a few key positions, then dealing with an Uruguayan mid-table team should not be, you know, uh, anything out of this world. Before closing out with Grau, Viz, what key area do you think is the one that they have to address the most? They, they are linked to a lot of midfielders from the looks of it, as well as right. obviously Vilches at the back. Um, mm -hmm. But do you feel like maybe midfield might be the key here? Because midfield always is the key for a lot of teams. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Uh, you you got to be careful with Uruguayan strikers. Or wine strikers are can always be are always scary. Yes. Right. <laughs> so that's 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 something that you have to be mindful of. I'm I'm thinking that the campaign that brought him to the Sudamericana was the Copa Bicentenario and there a lot of their, their matches were won on, on penalties. Uh I think that tells you that you know uh, also when it comes to to scoring goals, I mean I guess you could say that you could reinforce all three areas, but as they are linked to, you know, center center fielders, I think that that's probably what they have in mind. And yeah, I can see how that strategy would work. If you if you have a pretty solid midfield, then you only need a few key moves to be able to score. There's also the heat of depending on what time of the day they're going to be playing at. True. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, as the names that you're reading to me seem to be midfielders, then I guess we, we should only suppose that that's, that's what they have in mind. But I would always uh, make sure that your, that your defense is solid, too. Very, very true. Either way, as you said when we talked about Grau off the top, the fact that they're being linked to players like this, it would not happen in Liga 2. So the fact that they got promoted is absolutely huge because they can attract players like this. Jordi Vilches, even just a year ago, was one of the top defenders in the league. So getting him would be incredible for Grau, especially ahead of the Sudamericana. Uh, moving over to Sport Huancayo, uh, they got a very tough matchup in Argentinos Juniors, uh, currently top of the Superliga in Argentina at the moment. Uh, at the very least, they're going to fight for the title until the end from the looks of it. Huancayo have reinforced decently, lost a couple key players at the back, but they brought in uh, Giancarlo Carmona, Erf Cambu, and Federico Nicosia from uh, Cantolao to 
bolster the goalkeeping position. Kevin, this to me has the makings of at least league-wise a bit of an under the radar team. We, we saw what they did with Grioni. They were fighting for the, for the league, uh, but a year and a half ago, two years ago, do, do you feel like maybe they're loading up for maybe another surprise run here to maybe get into maybe even a Libertadores place? So I think in the, the last couple of years, Juan Cayo has, has pretty much locked themselves in as upper, upper table, you know, at least so Americana or above. So I, I would not surprise me at all if they took one of the Libertadores spots for next year. That being said, it, I think it's a little too soon to see if, if we'll say, you know, they'll, they'll be, you know, challenging for the title. But it is it is interesting. Uh, they're definitely a team to keep an eye on. Definitely. We'll see if they can also bolster the attack over the next few weeks as well. The final team in Comeball competition, another team who will be playing in the altitude, that is Real Garcilaso, or as they are now known, Cusco FC. I guess, first of all, guys, uh, what do we think of the name change? They haven't changed the logo yet from the looks of it, but I would imagine some sort of change is in the works here. Diego, what, what do you think of this, of this potential rebranding here? I'm I'm not a fan of it just because of of the history of it, but to each their own, I guess, right? I mean, Juventus did it with the rebranding of their logo and whatnot. I just don't know. I just don't know how or why they. I know they explained it, but to me, I still don't feel that that was a good enough reason. I guess Deportivo Garcilaso is the traditional team from Cusco, other than Cienciano, and so not to be confused with the play, the team that plays in the first division, Real Garcilaso. And I think that there has always been a little bit of conflict in Cusco about which one's the real real <laughs> Garcilaso. The real go. Garcilaso. <laughs> uh, and so uh, I think that it is positive in that sense and that they're respecting the tradition of a big club from their region, right? And so I think that that, that means... That, that has to mean at least brownie points for Real Garcilaso. They they kind of uh, understand their place in the hierarchy, I guess, if you want to put it that way. And uh, I actually think that it can be healthy. Hopefully they have some, uh, you know, like a decent badge and decent colors next year. But it could be healthy. I mean, we've seen Ayacucho do it before. It worked for them. You know, uh, I think that I don't know if it helped them score any more goals, but it seemed to be have been all right. Um, they did get Audax Italiano uh, from Chile uh, in the Sudamericana. What do we think of their chances of advancing, Kevin? Do you like their 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 chances here? Yes. If any if any teams from from Peru in the Sudamericana have a shot forward, I would say uh, Cusco FC has a as a even shot to to get forward. They definitely have to solidify their the roster. They've I've, heard of a lot of moves possibly Ramua was leaving and he's kind of like the brain of that team so that that worries me there but i've heard cespedes has signed mm-hmm. decent signing uh, i think he he's he's pretty decent in, in altitude i think melgar and and real garcia las uh, cusco i see are the best <laughs> poised to, <laughs> to move forward but that's gonna it's gonna take a little while to to remember that they the name change yes 100 it's still weird to hear it coming from someone else we're gonna have to really drill it into our brains that it is indeed cusco fc and not real garcilaso uh before we move over to the national team kevin um alexander lecaros moved to botafogo uh he's a 20 year old cusqueño uh midfielder wasn't the the, the flashiest per se but what do we think of another young Peruvian trying his chances abroad and definitely outside of his comfort zone because for basically his entire life, he's lived in his hometown? Personally, I think uh, the biggest factor is uh, Molsa de Minutos. Whether we like it or not, he has been playing since he, I believe he debuted when he was 16. Mm-hmm. So he has four seasons under his belt as a professional He's always gotten somewhere around 20-something games. He's not a prolific goal scorer, but the kid is talented. I, I definitely I, I noticed him when Garcilaso was playing the Libertadores and when when he kind of uh, broke through Alianza's defense. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course. I I don't know whether whether he'll be 
you know, someone that they looking they're looking to start or maybe start in their, their reserves. Either way, it's it's definitely a good a good point in his career to try something abroad and test where he's at. Too much of a, of being in your comfort zone can limit you as a player, I believe. And and I think that this is a it's a good sign because it, it literally means a Brazilian club was looking at this kid at this kid and really no one else in 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 Peru has, was really ever talking about him. He hadn't really been called up to to any youth national teams. He's making his move abroad. Where I'm starting to see in Twitter uh, people calling for Andy Polar, for Kevin Quevedo, and it's good. It's good. Um, our players have open market that that there's actually some demand for them. So it, it, to me, this is a positive move. And I think what I like most about it too is that he is not a Limeño kid. He is actually from the provinces, which is even better because that's one of the the goals in terms of revamping the youth structure in Peru is trying to get more players from uh, different areas of the country, not just Lima. It's been very Lima-centric for so long, and we're starting to see that now with many players coming from even the Amazonian region these days. So that's that's great to see. Miguel Trauco, anybody. Moving over, speaking of Trauco, to the national team, Peru's fixture list for the World Cup qualifiers were unveiled. They have a pretty tough start, uh, but then again, this is Comebol. All the games are difficult no matter what. Um, but they will start with Paraguay in Asuncion. Then they will return home for their second game to face Brazil. Uh, and then in their next three matches, they have Chile away, Argentina at home, and then Bolivia away in La Paz, where it is always difficult to play. However, they do close out with a more favorable run-in, at least in comparison to the last cycle. They'll have Colombia away, but then they have Ecuador at home. They have to go to Montevideo to play Uruguay and then they close out with Paraguay at home in Lima so with all this said guys how do we feel about the order of the fixtures and just I guess the outlook of the national team heading into the March window given their offensive struggles for most of 2019 Diego what do you think we're gonna have to play everyone right home and away so it doesn't matter if it's now later it really doesn't matter. Um, I'm I'm more of the person that would rather finish at home and start off and 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 start off a little harder, I guess. So I'm fine with this schedule. I actually don't mind it. I think um, will it be hard in the beginning? Yes, but it's not impossible. Like like Olita said too. You know, um, we played Brazil three times this year for a reason, right. knowing that they they that we have to play them again and. We should have enough um, enough experience to know how to play against them now, right? Even more so. So at the end of the day, I, I'm comfortable with with the schedule that we've got. I would agree with you 100%. You have to play everyone in the end, so we, you might as well play some of the toughest uh, ones in the beginning. My only issue is that Peru struggles when they're the favorites, right? When when Peru is supposed to be the one that's supposed to win the game by a landslide. That's when there's a little bit more of a, you know, of a choke from the national team. And so I just hope that, that the fire is on by the time that we get the, you know, to, to the last matches where, you know, Peru will find it within themselves to win those quote unquote, you know, easier matches at the end of the qualifiers. Uh, and I guess that will depend a lot on, um, on how we start and I honestly don't think that it's impossible to. Uh, I don't know if I think it's a little bit unrealistic to say that we're going to go beat Brazil in Brazil, but I, I don't think it's impossible to get a draw. You know, I don't think it's impossible to get a draw uh, away uh, against Chile. I don't think it's impossible to get a victory against Argentina at home for the fourth uh, match date. So uh, I just seen a lot of people on social media, I guess, that are saying, "Oh, well, we're going to get zero out of twelve for the first few games. And I say, you know what? I think we can do four or five out of, out of 12 in the first four games. So uh, I'm, I'm confident. I am actually more bullish than you. I think they can actually go six or seven in the first five games. <laughs> Very easily, they, they, I, I feel they can get five points. Um, the only real tough game in those first five is going to be Brazil at home and then maybe Bolivia away just because of the altitude. But 
Chile away is winnable to me, especially given what's going on, you know, politically in the country and, and the state of the team. Paraguay, they're in a rebuilding mode. Peru won in Asuncion the last time they were there. Argentina at home, they tend to do pretty well against them. Literally one of the most famous moments of the 2000s for Peru is a freaking goal in a draw in a meaningless game against Argentina. So, you know, con los huevos de Vargas, con los huevos de orejas, let's say. So, yeah. Quick stat, quick stat on that, uh, Peter. Peru has never won an opening match that's away. Right. But under Gareca, we have never not beat Paraguay. That is true. Forgot about that. And again, another advantage to playing these South American teams and friendlies. Get accustomed to them. And therefore, when the time comes, you will be ready. Uh, Kevin, what what do you think about everything that, that, that we have said so far? Do you feel like Peru's start might not be as daunting as it may have looked on paper. No, I, I think uh, at the end of the day, you gotta you gotta beat the best to be the best. So it, it's 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 good that we get to you know knock out the the Brazil game, the Argentina game right away. It gives us perspective where we stand right away. Gareca will will take all that information and he'll just keep grinding the team until until he gets the plan in motion. I think we'll we'll clearly see, especially you know Guerrero. He's getting on in age. Probably want him to take care of these harder matches right away, as opposed to maybe in two years from now. Right. Uh, the only the only thing that worries me is is maybe Yotun Yotun's recovery. I don't know how long that'll take. I mean, if he's together, the rest of the team is pretty much good to go. Depending on on what transfers we might see from Cueva Zambrano. Aside from that, like I said. Our, I mean, like I think Diego said, Paraguay is a team that we we've been doing very well against. Chile, we did very well against this year. Argentina is rebuilding, or they're almost completely rebuilt at this point. But uh, Gareca has not underperformed with them. Tied home and away when it was when it mattered most. Brazil, Brazil is always going to be tough, but yeah. you know it is it is what it is. We're we're one of the the teams that's that's beaten Brazil the most in the last couple of years. Yeah, just j- just saying, guys. You know, don't don't hate facts. You know, <laughs> putting that up. Indeed. But uh, it, it is tough, and we'll see what what Gareca will do. I have faith in the guys. Yeah, and I think we should also put an asterisk here. We're making these predictions based on injuries and the players being in form, because that has been a killer for them at some absolutely terrible times, the World Cup being chief among them. Um, So that is obviously based on that. We got a question. uh, We mentioned Paolo. Uh, We got a question from Braulio B again, asking, is it really that good that Guerrero is maybe going to Boca? I still feel like he should stay at Internacional. Diego, what do you think about that? It'd be great for him to go to Boca, obviously, because... The club, you know, it's it's such a big historic club, um, known known more so worldwide probably than Internacional, maybe maybe, but uh, obviously Peruvians follow the club uh, more than Internacional before Paulo was there, so it, it would be great. But with that said, I don't see how he could leave Inter right now without Boca paying the whole amount of his buyout clause, which I don't think they will. On top of the fact, I think I would like Paulo to to stay with Inter based on the fact that you know everything Inter did for him during during his um during his trial and during the time he was uh, suspended from football. So I think I think it'd be nice for him to stay with them at least another season and and give it all he's got again. I can certainly see that point of view as well. Um, and as uh, Viz actually said. I believe it was actually a few weeks ago. Um, they do have Ramon Avila up front. They're, they, they do have some attacking options. You don't know how that's going to fit together just tactically and, and, and whatnot. And obviously, everybody's favorite coach in Peru, Miguel Angel Russo, is now the coach of Boca. So we'll see how that changes things, potentially. Because um, those links started and really picked up before the coach was announced. Now over to the U23s. Uh, some pretty... Noteworthy news happened on Monday. Um, first of all, Martin Tavara 
withdrawing from the latest squad due to personal issues. Uh, Kevin Quevedo was removed due to reported indiscipline. Where have we heard that before? But he has also been linked to Nantes again. Um, they are apparently rekindling their interest as they are looking for more attacking options. He would join Percy Prado and Christian Benevente if he were to move to France uh, and play for Nantes in Ligue 1. So firstly, guys, uh, if they don't make the squad which it looks like they probably won't. Uh, Abel Gamarra at Abelanda81 asked us, uh, with no Tavara or Quevedo in the under-23s, who do you think will be the key players for the team? So we'll pick out one from each of us here and sort of quickly explain why. Uh, Viz, who would be a key player to watch for you in the under-23s, provided that player makes the final cut? We've been... Just basing that, you know, just off what I saw during the the Panamericanos, that's I think that that's a pretty safe bet right there. Especially if you're not going to have uh, some of the other other of the marquee names, I think that's that would be my pick. Nevertheless, uh, I don't know if Peru's chances are uh, very good of uh, reaching the Olympics, honestly. So, yeah, good point. I'll actually read out the group uh, before we go around. Uh, they have Brazil, Paraguay, Bolivia, and Uruguay in Group B. The top two advance to the final stage, so it's a pretty tough draw for them. Kevin, who do you feel could be a key player for Peru at the tournament, provided they do make it? I'm going to have to say at this point, I think uh, Gianfranco Chavez and, and Marcos Lopez. Surprisingly, we're going to have to rely on our defense. <laughs> <laughs> I think those those are the biggest appearances of the last year coincidentally they're both from Cristal if uh, Abel Gamara is listening I think at this point Chavez is is the captain of the U23s and he's showing that he's been very capable of himself uh, anytime I've seen him internationally or domestically so that that is a good sign losing uh, Quevedo and Tavara is, is a big blow but we we have other players it's not it's not the end of the world we might see you know, maybe Andy Polar get called up again. Um, Jairo Concha is finally fit. He got some matches towards the end of the season. It, it would be it will be interesting to see what happens. But it is a tough group. Peru is not usually great at these youth tournaments. Yeah, understatement. Diego, who would be a key player for you to watch uh, at the pre-Olimpicos? Yeah, so to not mention the same ones as my brother, I think... I'd also be looking at some uh, Cristal boys. I'd like to see Pretel, you know, because he was called up uh, to La Selección earlier this year. I want to see what else he can offer. I'd like to see uh, Pacheco, Fernando Pacheco, Mm -hmm. with Quevedo out now. You know, someone has to bring in the goals. Hopefully he can or Olivares or Sebastián González, one of them. But I'm really, really interested in Fernando Pacheco right now. Yeah, Pacheco did well with the under-20s, um, has had some pretty good moments with Cristal as well. Maybe he can shoulder the burden. Um, for me, it's Jordan Givin. I liked what he did at the Panamericanos. I know it was a forgettable tournament from a Peruvian perspective. I thought he did pretty well in the midfield just in terms of his composure and breaking the press. I think that could be a, a candidate for the national team in the next year or two, maybe even as early as as the summertime when Copa America is being played. Um, That would be something to see, provided he is in form, of course. So, Kevin Quevedo, um, with him in mind, guys. Obviously, we are seeing that he is involved in some disciplinary issues again. um, I say that with a heavy sigh because it's just disappointing to hear. Provided this is related to these Nantes rumors... What did we just make of the whole Quevedo situation this year? I feel like it's just been one big soap opera with his dad basically basically playing the role of, to those of you who are NBA fans, the Uncle Dennis to Kawhi Leonard. Diego, what have you made of this whole saga, including the latest chapter here? Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's disappointing because all of us have seen what he's capable of with Alianza, have seen, um, you know bits and sparks with La Selección. And so I expect, especially with his contract coming to an end, I expected him to move abroad and, 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 and showcase his talent in this, in this Preolimpico to get better offers or to get uh, more offers 
uh, more look. But as you mentioned, I mean, a lot of people keep talking about his father, uh, about how how hard it is to work with him or talk to him. Um, I even heard from someone that he had. Uh, uh, I don't. I'm not going to say the name of the club, but they said that they had they had reached out and they never got a response from him. So even uh, maybe he just doesn't want that club, but I feel like in this business, you you at least take the call or answer and say, look, we're not interested or something, you know? And, and, and I can understand him wanting better for his son, but he has to be realistic about what his son can and cannot do right now in this moment. Does he have the potential? Does he have, can he grow? Of course, but right now they're paying for what he can do right now and that little potential. Cause you don't know. And obviously him doing these things, these uh, being for uh, getting uh, this convocado for being for indiscipline. That's just not helping his case at all. No. And the fact that he was absent pretty much in the final doesn't really help that because even though he did do well for a pretty poor Peruvian team at the Panamericanos, that's maybe another stick used to beat him with that. He can't do it in the big games or whatever cliche you want to use, um, which probably doesn't help the value all that much. Um, so we'll see what happens with that because there's never a dull moment when it comes to Kevin Quevedo at all. To close out this before we maybe recap quickly 2019 as a whole for Peruvian football, um, Renato the Sun asked, how come it is so difficult for Peruvians to make a smooth jump to Europe and their struggle, sorry, and they struggle to find minutes at their clubs? when they are there while Argentines, Brazilians, Uruguayans, and even Colombians and Chileans seem to not have those problems usually. Viz, why do you think that is? Uh, this is, of course, related to the comments made by Claudio Pizarro uh, about a week ago talking about Peruvians and whether or not they should uh, go to Europe and how they would succeed in Europe. So, Viz, what do you think? I think that there's a lot of aspects to that question. There's a lot of different angles that we could uh, see that question from. I think I'm going to speak a little bit on a psychological aspect. Uh, some of the comments that we had from our friend Michael, uh, who, as a foreigner, lived in Peru for a few years and seeing, you know, how much of, a, you know, a very familial society we can be, you know, how protective we can be of our kids, how... You know, if uh, the kid goes to university, the whole family moves close to the university instead of just, like, sending the kid off to college. You know, that's not something that's unheard of in Peruvian society. Uh, and also, at the same time, when it comes to, like, Uruguayans, Argentines, or Brazilians, whichever country they go to, they have a big support group because there's other Uruguayans, there's other Brazilians, or there's other Argentines there to receive them and to help them. When Paolo moved, to Germany, the only guy that was there was Pizarro, right? And he, and I'm sure Pizarro probably got tired of having Paolo around his house doing nothing for a while, you know? <laughs> you know, it's like, kid, you got to go do something else. Yeah, but I don't know anyone else, and I don't know the language, you know? <laughs> I, I, I can, I can kind of see that conversation in my mind. You know, On the other hand, if you're Brazilian, you're going to find someone, you know, whether you're playing in China, whether you're playing in the United States, whether you're playing uh, in Italy, you're going to find other Brazilians that have already been there and have already, you know, kind of made, created a little bit of a path and kind of are familiar with how things are. So I, I think that those are some outside aspects that I would take into consideration uh, when it comes to just sending our youth out to European clubs and expecting, me to, expecting them to be successful right off the bat. And uh, I think that we have to overcome those things by not by being shy about sending them out, but about trying to send them out and sending you know them out when when the time is right so that they can uh, hopefully act as a bridge for more players in the future i think a perfect example of that is obviously ruidias in mexico ruidias had a great time showed himself off and then the next season they, they sold pru sold some other 12 players to the mexican league I, I think to me that's the perfect example and i think that that's what i would like to see maybe replicate it with with European teams. I think it's as simple as that, really. We, we saw what happened when Chile started to rise up the rankings and started to have some success, and then more Chileans went to Europe. You develop a reputation, and then guess what? More Chileans end up in Europe and whatnot. So with Peru, they're almost like 
basically a step behind in that regard. They're now getting players abroad into better leagues, but now the next step is get them from those better leagues in, say, Mexico and whatnot into the top five European leagues and have them stay there. Um, but that is, of course, a bit of a slow burn at times. So, guys, obviously 2019 is coming to an end. Um, we are recording on the 30th of December. Lots has happened in Peruvian football this year. Um, so just to maybe reminisce a little bit about 2019, uh, let's get our top moment of the year and our least favorite moment of the year. I feel like all of us are going to be unanimous with the run to the Copa America final, but if there's maybe one specific moment of that run that you want to pick out, uh, you may do that as well. So, uh, Viz, we'll start with you. What was your favorite moment of 2019 and what was your least favorite moment of 2019? Obviously, the the victory against Chile was probably the best, best game of 2019. I think the victory against Brazil is a close second, but obviously that one was a friendly after, you know, the Copa America. But the fact that we finally were able to break that semifinal ceiling and that we were able to get a revenge against a classic rival and that, you know, considering that it was a Copa where we struggled, right? I mean, that 5-0 was not easy, that the penalties against Uruguay were not easy, and then we were able to show everyone else we were capable of uh, in that victory against Chile. That, for sure, I think is the the best moment. And the lowest, easy peasy. Uh, <laughs> the game against El Salvador was the lowest. That that is just ridiculous. You know that is just ridiculous. I still cannot. Like I I, I don't understand how all of that happened. Honestly, and uh, that that was just Peru just disappointing. Yeah, it was like Chemo. You know, it was like the, it was it was as if instead of Gareca they hired Chimbo for a game. Oh my god! Uh, uh, so so yeah, that that was the most disappointing moment. I I think maybe a close second would have been that five zero against Brazil or the three zero against Colombia right before the the Copa America because it really made made us feel like we were not up to par with some of the other South American teams. But the 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 two zero is still for sure the worst. You haven't let us forget it, Viz. Every time you get a chance to bring it up, you have to rip off the scab and, and remind us. So thank you for that. Um, but I think that easily is one of the worst moments of the year. Uh, Diego, what was your top moment and least favorite moment of 2019? <laughs> well, I, th- I think Viz mentioned them all. So, well, I'm so, sorry. So I will say this. I will say, I mean, the best moments, obviously, the run and, and the game against Chile. I'll, I'll never forget the day after I had no voice. I was, you know, it, it was crazy. Um, the worst, definitely the, the, the loss against Salvador, El Salvador. But now if I had to say one of the best things for me this year, probably Renato Tapia calling me out on Twitter uh, <laughs> about 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 uh, a quote that I had gotten from – from Exitosa. Um, Viz's favorite. Uh, from Exitosa. From Exitosa. Hey, man, listen, listen. I It's a quote. I thought a quote you wouldn't, you know, lie no, about. No, it's, clearly, it's, it's not your fault. Clearly, it's not your clearly fault. Clearly, I was wrong. But I'm glad that he called it out because even though it made me, it may make me look bad, I would rather get the truth and the facts out there for everyone that wants to know about these transfer rumors and Renato Tapia, so I, I, I liked it. I liked it. That that just speaks volumes of, of the kind of information that one can find in Exitosa. So as a rule of thumb, I I, I just disregard them. I, I don't <laughs> take serious anything they said. The only thing that they've ever gotten right was uh, Paolo. Paolo Guerrero and um, his return to the World Cup. But, I mean, even a broken clock uh, is accurate twice a day, right? <laughs> or once. Yeah, so there we go. Um, Kevin, what was your top moment and bottom moment of 2019? Okay, so my top for 2019 is 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 a tie. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna put Andre Carrillo up there, and seeing him lift the uh, the Asian Champions League trophy with the Peruvian flag was a prideful moment for me. Seeing any Peruvian lift trophies is always something that we, that we want to see and just experience. That one is, is up there. And then the second thing is seeing Sergio Peña in Holland and doing so well. The the kid was 
in the 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 squad to go to the World Cup, and he dropped it so his, his so Guerrero could go. I think that had to hurt more than more than anyone else. So to see him doing well to the point where where his club picked up Miguel Araujo, and now they're looking for another Peruvian. You know, he's doing excellent. He's doing he's he's doing giving it one hundred and ten percent. No doubt. Shout out! Him. Shout out! Shout out Carrillo and Ruiz for lifting trophies this season abroad. Yes, Ruiz too. Ruiz was completely clutch in the whole uh, playoff run. Uh, worst, I'm uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay positive. <laughs> let's, let's go to 2020 positive. <laughs> he's gonna be he's gonna be the non-Peruvian and stay positive for once. So uh, we appreciate I, Kevin for that. I dig that. Yeah. <laughs> on on the same theme. For Kevin, in terms of uh, trophy winners, you guys mentioned it there. It was Rui Diaz winning MLS Cup, especially because he was so pivotal to their success. And it was cool to see him, I, I, I guess, be a champion. We've seen him have very good moments at club level with Monarcas, of course, saving them from relegation, while simultaneously getting them into the Ligia. But actually see him being a champion is outside Peru is actually kind of a a bit of a tear-jerking moment, especially when you consider kind of his humble beginnings as well. My least favorite moment, I mean, come on, it, it was the 5-0 against Brazil. Anytime you you get crushed, no matter who the team is, you always feel a little bit, I don't want to say depressed because maybe that's a bit strong, but you definitely don't feel the same for the next few days and you just kind of can't wait for the next game to come to right those wrongs. And the whole Gaese error as well, I feel like encapsulated that. It was just not a good day, but credit to Peru because... The very next game, we saw probably one of the top moments in terms of them winning a penalty shootout against Uruguay by the skin of their teeth. But my God, did they ponga los huevos in that shootout, as we saw from Advincula's gesture. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out out to Gales and and, and his mental uh, state, too. Oh, yeah, Drew. (laughs) Yeah, he's probably the superstar of 2019 for having to deal with all that craziness although some of it was self-inflicted let's be honest uh but we will digress from that for tonight uh that will do it for us this evening thank you again for listening bit of a longer one but we feel like we needed to make up for lost time and you guys can listen to this in sections if you wish over the rest of the holidays uh so i'm peter galindo you can follow me on twitter at galindo pw you can follow the show at peru waltz uh viz where can the people follow you on twitter and if you have any final shout outs for the end of the decade this is the time well we started a podcast talking about cienciano and we can't forget that they have returned to the first division i think that that is also a very big highlight of this year and of this decade cienciano returning to the first division upa ke upa ke upa pa. uh shout out to them and uh, you can find me at v on iz underscore fc fantastic diego any shout outs and what is your twitter handle yes uh you know i would like to shout out claudio pizarro because he's retiring at the end of the season and I think that, you know, because it's also the end of this decade, he's just been doing his thing and putting Peru's name out there for so long abroad in Europe that I think he deserves a shout out. You can find me at DMontavon on Twitter. Fantastic. And Kevin, you can close it out for us. What are your final thoughts of the decade and what is your Twitter? Uh, You guys can find me at kmontalvan 7 and well, let's just go into 2020 positive. It's been a, a hell of a year. Uh, appreciate all you guys for, for listening, for being with us this year. Let's hope we can give you a better one next year. Yes, hopefully more consistent podcasting in 2020. That is my final shout out. You guys put up with our inconsistent scheduling for 2019 and we greatly appreciate it. So that will do it for us for the rest of the decade. This is the Peruvian Waltz team and we are signing off. Niños en el arco, la defensa es colosal González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás, Fuentes y Chumpitas Chalemí, Frin y Cubillas y el gran Perico León Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la selección